When you hear the word encouragement, what do you think of? You know, when you look at how the Bible uses that word encouragement and what the word actually means as it's in the Scriptures, it basically describes either someone's actions or their speech that comforts people or influences people to have more courage. It's those things that we say and we do that helps people go on, that lifts people up, that helps people get through the challenge that they're facing in life. I know when I think about encouragement in my own life, I think about when my wife and I were young parents, only been married a few years, trying to figure out what to do as parents as well as working hard to try to support the family. And it was challenging. It's easy for young couples to begin losing touch with each other and their relationship suffering. And we had an older couple in our church, Mr. and Ms. Jennings. They were farmers in Tatum, Texas. And they were a godly couple. They had been through a lot in their life and been married many years, raised several children. And they took us under their wing as a young couple. And they would invite us over to their house after church to eat eat lunch with them. They would listen to the struggles that we were going through, and they would share with us godly perspectives on the challenges we were facing. They were there at a time in our life that made all the difference in the world. Their words and the time that they took with us is one of the highlights as we look back on our encounters with the people of God. I also think about 1994, a year that began with the death of my mother, followed a few months later with my wife, Jill, her father's death. Then my favorite uncle passed away, And the year wrapped up with our daughter having to have emergency abdominal surgery. That was very, very serious. That was a year of uncertainty, a year of grief, a year of questioning what in the world's God doing. But we were blessed to have a circle of people around us who prayed for us who took the time to listen to our grief and our uncertainty, that that made those phone calls and wrote those notes, that really put courage into our lives and kept us going. Then there was 2003. After going through several years of empty nest, my wife and I looked at it 
at each other and we said, what are we going to do for the rest of our lives? Well, we'd sensed that God was calling us to further our Bible education. We decided to go to Dallas Theological Seminary. And in that year, we sold our home in Nacogdoches where we had raised our children. We had left friends that had been close to us for 30 years. We both stepped away from careers that was very satisfying on one level, but we knew that wasn't where God wanted us permanently. And then we moved to Dallas. And within just a few weeks of being in Dallas, Jill's mom died. And in the midst of that change, in that transition, and that uncertainty, we just threw in the element of grief also. Well, we had a small group. And that small group would circle around us each week and pray for us. They were guys that I knew and I was in school with, and, and they would regularly touch base with me during the week and just say, how you doing? Is there anything we can do? And they would... Once in a while, take me out to lunch. They were there to put courage in us in a time that was very transitional and a time that was filled with grief. And you know, I know you have stories like this also. People who invested in your life at times when you could have gone either direction. Times when you were hurting and somebody came along and put their arm around you and gave you a hug. Times when there just wasn't enough to get by and somebody gave you a check just to help out. I think about the challenges when there's illness and when there's grief, when there's unemployment, when you're a single parent, during times of change and you're feeling all alone in life. All of us need people who God places in our lives to allow them to minister to us, to encourage us. But we also need to be the type of people That as God's children, our hearts are tuned where God is leading us. And we recognize the great blessing that we can be in the life of another person for encouragement. Well, as we begin this new year, I would like to challenge you to become an encourager. In the book of Hebrews, we're told to let us consider... Literally, let us think through and concentrate on how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but instead encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Well, as we think about encouragement today, I want us to look at one of the lesser-known characters in the book of Acts. A man that never 
was a strategic leader like Peter or Paul, a person who was really in the background and someone that you're probably familiar with their name, but it's just a, a name in passing. I want us to look at him today. And I want us to see how he exemplifies for you and me what it looks like to be an encourager. What it looks like to put courage in someone else and help them just keep going. He's known in the New Testament by the name of Barnabas. His real name was Joseph. But the apostles saw the kind of person he was and what he did, and they gave him the nickname that has stuck with him in Scripture. The nickname of Barnabas, which literally means the son of encouragement. We're first introduced to him in Acts chapter 4. And Acts 4 gives us some insight into the life of the early church. Most of the people who knew Barnabas knew him by the name of Joseph. At the time that Acts 4 takes place, the church is growing, but it's also facing intense persecution. People have been disowned by their families because they identified with Jesus Christ. And when you were ident- and when you were disowned by your families, you also lost your careers. You also lost your homes. You, lost, you also lost all those friends that you've had all the way through your life. And so here we have a young church that suddenly a lot of people don't have jobs. A lot of people are struggling. A lot of people are, are wondering, how do we face this next week? And then we have Barnabas show up. Let's read in Acts 4, verses 34 through 37. Speaking of this church in the first century in Jerusalem, it says, There was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. And thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Okay, so we're introduced to Joseph, who the apostles named Barnabas. And there's a little statement that's made in there. It says that he was a Levite. Now, we would casually read over that and just think that's insignificant. But what that meant was that he was a member of the tribe of Levi, which meant his family was responsible for guiding the nation of Israel in worship. They were the ones who took care of the temple. They were the ones who oversaw all the offerings that were brought to be sacrificed. 
They were the ones that would call for the days of worship and lead them. And what we see that Barnabas does here is he says, I am identifying with Jesus Christ and his people. And he sold the land that belonged to him. Now there's something interesting about the land. And that is under the Old Testament law, God had given the land to families. And the Levites had special portions of land given to them that was to be passed down from generation to generation to the oldest child. What Barnabas did was let them know he had totally sold out to Jesus Christ. He said, I am a follower of the way, the way of Christ. And he took his belongings, those belongings that represented the wealth of his family, and he used them to help support the, the ministry, the care of God's people. And I think this is the first way that the life of Barnabas challenges us. And that is we can encourage each other in times of need. I think all of us can think back to a time when somebody did help us out. Or we heard about someone who did. And I am constantly encouraged by the stories of how God's people take care of each other. I think when we, we think through this ministry of taking care of people, we need to recognize that one of the things that God says in the Old Testament that we're called to do is to care for the poor. So we can be encouraging when we help each other out in times of need. But the next appearance of Barnabas is in Acts chapter 9. And in Acts 9, you have the dramatic conversion of a man by the name of Saul. A man we will later come to know as the Apostle Paul. When we look at Saul, he was a very zealous persecutor of the church. When one of the deacons, Stephen, stood up and proclaimed the gospel, he was stoned to death. And it says that their coats were laid at the feet of Saul. He was a guy that rampaged through Jerusalem, imprisoning Christians, dragging them off into the courts, and even leading them to their deaths. Well, he was so enthusiastic about it that he got letters from the religious leaders, the chief leaders, to actually pursue Christians in other cities. And so one day, he decides to go to Damascus and get all those Christians that are there. And in Acts 9, verses 3 through 6, we're told about something that happened to Saul that he 
he never anticipated happening. It says, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus. And suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard the voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? Now, now understand this. Saul knew something big was happening. You don't get struck blind, knocked down by a light, and hear a voice from heaven without it being something big. And his idea was, wow, this has to be the Lord. And he uses the name, the Lord. It's the same name that Abraham would have used to call on the God that he worships. So, so he's saying, are you the covenant God of Abraham? He's saying, Lord, is this who you are? And then he got an answer that just totally blew him away. The voice said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Wow. He was blinded. In darkness, he's thinking about everything that he's just realized, that the one he's persecuting was actually the Lord. And it says that they took him into Damascus, and then God began working on a leader in the church in Damascus. His name was Ananias. And he told Ananias, he said, I got somebody I want you to go to and preach. Of course, Ananias, a willing servant, said, Yes, Lord. He said, His name's Saul. And Ananias says, Whoa, Lord, I don't know if you've caught up to it yet. But this guy is dangerous. He is somebody that's been tearing the church up. And the Lord said to Ananias, He is my chosen vessel. And so Ananias went and spoke to him about the Lord, and then he baptized him. And then we're told that Saul began preaching boldly in Damascus. In fact, it says in verse 20, it says, At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. And it's interesting how as you read the the verses after this, It says that the religious leaders were astonished and they were baffled because they couldn't argue against Paul. He had this knowledge of the Old Testament that was so solid. And all of a sudden, when he realized Jesus was the Messiah, all the dots were connected. And he was able to talk about faith in a way that just baffled the people. Well, what happened is the religious leaders then turned on him. And they began plotting his death to where Saul had to be actually smuggled out of Jerusalem. This is one of the interesting things God does. He takes a person who is an enemy of Christianity... And he turns them into the greatest missionary. Somebody who is seeking to harm the people of God, to becoming one of the people of God that's now being hunted. God worked great 
in Saul's life. It's one of the great salvation stories of Christian history. So he left Damascus after a period of time, we don't know how long, and he went back to Jerusalem. And if you remember, the last time he was in Jerusalem, he was a terror. Throwing people in prison, bringing them before the courts, even leading them to their deaths. And it says in Acts chapter 9 and verse 26 that he tried to join the disciples. In other words, he now has a love for Jesus and he, and he wants to connect with the disciples in Jerusalem. And it said, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was really a disciple. Now think about how the conversations probably went in a deacon meeting or an elder meeting. Somebody says, what do you all think about this Paul wanting to meet with us? Someone else says, are you out of your mind? You know what kind of person he is. And the conversation probably went back and forth with probably the final conclusion being that we're not going to let this guy into our midst and hurt us. But I love what verse 27 says of Acts 9. Because then Barnabas enters the scene. The same Barnabas that was selling his land to help the people in the church in Jerusalem. Now he comes before the leaders of the church in Jerusalem and he says, But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. And I think this is the second way in which the life of Barnabas challenges us in encouragement. And that is that we can encourage those who want to change. Now, encouraging people can be risky. Barnabas did not know enough about Saul to be 100% sure he was okay. I mean, he heard about his testimony. He heard about the evidences of salvation, but it's sort of like on a scale, you put this little bit of information over here that he's walking with God, and then you put all this information over here that he's killed our fellow believers. And Barnabas was the one who stood for, stepped forward and said, we need to give him a chance. He's changed, and we need to give him a chance. Often when, often when we look at people, all we see is their problems. Barnabas looked at Paul and he saw the incredible change that had come over his life. Our view of a person can be overshadowed by their past, but Barnabas, he looked at his future. We can focus on what a person has been, but what Barnabas did is he focused on what Paul could be. Now, he didn't know that the Apostle Paul would write 
two-thirds of the book of the new two-thirds of the books of the New Testament. He didn't know that he would be the greatest missionary the world has ever seen. He didn't know that he was going to be designated the apostle to the Gentiles. But all he knew was it looked like God was at work in this man's life, and he deserved a chance. And Barnabas stood up for him. The next appearance of Barnabas is in Acts chapter 11. And Acts 11 tells us the story of the first church that was not Jewish. It was located in the city of Antioch, which was about 300 miles north of the city of Jerusalem. So it was a pretty good trip. It also was the third largest city in the Roman Empire. This wasn't a one-stoplight town. This was a major city of the Roman Empire. And what we have here is something going on that really caught the church in Jerusalem off guard. And I want us to read in Acts chapter 11, beginning in verse 19. It says, Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. In other words, they were Jews who had become believers in Christ. And because of persecution, they fled Jerusalem and went to different cities, but the only one, ones they would preach to would be other Jews. It says, but there were some of them men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, also preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. And the report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. Well, the church heard this report, something that they could not even imagine. Gentiles are becoming followers of Jesus. Who had ever thought that? They said, we've got to investigate this because we want to make sure this isn't heresy or something. But they knew it was important who they sent. And it says that they chose to send Barnabas. Now think about how you and I might approach that situation if we were solidly Jewish in our thinking. And we went to a church that did something totally different. And we were the experts on it because we attend the church in Jerusalem. I can imagine I would probably walk in there and go, you know, you folks aren't doing it quite right. That's not how we do it in Jerusalem. And we know how to do it. I might also walk in and look at them, they're Gentiles. Jews aren't even supposed to associate with Gentiles. 
And I look at them and I'm seeing their behaviors and I'm going, you know, you guys just aren't good enough. Something's got to change. You've got to become Jews to be more like me. But you know, that isn't what we see in Barnabas. Barnabas looks at what God is doing with this church. He's looking at... He's looking at changed lives and people coming to know Jesus. And instead of criticizing them, he says it, he encouraged them to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. It's the only thing he told them to do. Just be faithful to the Lord with all your heart. How encouraging do you think that was for that young church? You're sitting in a meeting and you hear, you know, the, the apostles in Jerusalem are sending a representative to evaluate us. Are we good enough? And these young believers are going, what are they going to tell us to do? And what they hear is, just keep doing what you're doing, loving the Lord. That was so encouraging to them. But the story doesn't stop there because the church continues growing. And apparently Barnabas decided to stick around because he's, he's ministering here. And it reaches the point where this, this church is the fastest growing church in the world. And they need some additional help. And as Barnabas thinks about who could I get to help me, a name pops into his head. I wonder what Saul's doing. So Barnabas takes off to the city of Tarsus, which is in, in the area of Turkey. And he goes and he looks up Saul, who we know as the Apostle Paul. It's been six years since Jerusalem. Six years in which Paul moved back to his hometown as a follower of Jesus. He's been disowned by his family. He's been exiled in the town. He probably has no place to live. No friends to associate with him. And after six long years, he is wondering, have I just been put out to pasture? Have I been put up on a shelf never to be used again? And then here shows up, Barnabas and says, Paul, we need you. And so he comes back and they minister together and then they, then they start their first missionary journey. And as the journey begins, the first time they're taking the gospel out into the world, you hear about Barnabas and Saul or Barnabas and Paul. And it's Barnabas and Paul this, and Barnabas and Paul that. And then it's really interesting because along about the, fifth, the 13th chapter of Acts, something happens. It changes from Barnabas and Paul to Paul and Barnabas. And what happened was Barnabas began seeing the leadership skills in Paul. And Barnabas took a step back. Let Paul be out there in front. In other words, he encouraged him with, 
with, with letting him do what God was leading him to do. I love what Chuck Swindoll says about Barnabas. He says that in a world of one-man shows, Barnabas is the refreshing exception. This is the third way that we can be encouraged from Barnabas. And that is we can be encouragers in the work that God is doing. God was working in this church and God was working in Paul's life. And what Barnabas wanted to do was make sure that God's people were encouraged. It's human nature to be critical and skeptical when the idea isn't ours. But that's not what you see in Barnabas. But the last appearance of Barnabas is in Acts chapter 15. When Barnabas and Paul set off on their first missionary journey, they took a young man with them. His name was John Mark. And not long into the missionary journey, John Mark got homesick or he got scared or something. And he said, I'm going home. And he basically abandoned Barnabas and Paul and left them there. And he took off. Well, it's been a number of years now, and Barnabas and Paul are planning the second missionary journey. And Barnabas wants to take John Mark along. And Paul says, no way. <laughs> That's not going to happen. And we're told that they got into quite an argument. In fact, let's read in Acts 15. Verses 36 through 39. It says, After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. And now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. But Paul thought it best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas and Paul, they broke off their relationship. And Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. This would have been a gut-wrenching conversation between Paul and Barnabas. It would have hurt both of them. But Paul was very firm that this guy's a quitter, and I can't trust a quitter. And Barnabas, Barnabas was saying, this guy's young. <laughs> he needs to grow up. He needs a mentor. And the two of them cannot get together. And so what Barnabas does is he says, Paul's going to survive without me. Paul's going to be successful. Paul's a natural leader but I'm going to invest in this young man, John Mark. And I think here's the last way in which the life of Barnabas challenges us. And that is that we can encourage each other with second chances. You know, there's times when things happen in church that's very discouraging. And if you've been in church very long, you've had things happen that's really, really touched your heart.
whether it's a disagreement, whether it's an offense with someone, it's something. And it's so easy for us to step back from church and step back from the people of God. Barnabas knew this could have happened with John Mark. But instead, he took him with him on another missionary journey. And they're beginning working with this young man. And tradition has it that later, many years later, that John Mark became a part of another missionary team, a missionary team with Peter. And over those years that he was with Peter, he recorded the stories that Peter shared about Jesus. And then he sat down and he, he wrote those stories out as a life of Christ. And we now have it in our Bibles as the Gospel of Mark, the Gospel of John Mark. Even the Apostle Paul comes around. The last mention of John Mark is at the end of 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy was the last book that the Apostle Paul ever wrote. He was in prison. He was going to be executed in the very near future. It's the last thing he ever wrote. And in chapter 4, in verse 11 of 2 Timothy, the Apostle Paul says to Timothy, Get Mark and bring him with you because he is useful to me in my ministry. That says something about Paul, that Paul was able to change his mind. And even the Apostle Paul came around to say, you know, this John Mark, he's okay. My prayer for us is that we would be an encouraging people. Our New Testament has 27 books, and the name of Barnabas is not attached to any of them. But if Barnabas hadn't put courage into a forgotten man named Paul, we probably wouldn't have 13 books of the New Testament. If he hadn't taken under his wing a, a young man that, that had failed, we might not have the Gospel of Mark. You see, here you have a man who encourages people when there's financial difficulty. A man who, who helps people get a, a second start. Someone who helps build up leaders and steps back and lets them shine for God. And a man that takes someone who's failed and invests in his life. We need more Barnabases. And as we go forward into this next year, that can be one of the greatest ministries that we focus on, is encouraging others, whether it's with writing a note, whether it's with a hug, whether it's just stopping and listening to people share their story. Or if it's a private thing, like seriously taking the ministry of prayer on behalf of a person that's struggling. The idea is that we 
care for others. That we build courage into the lives of people who are struggling. And that's what the writer of Hebrews says. Let us encourage one another because there's difficult days ahead. Let's be a people who in 2016 can get to be known as encouragers. Let's pray.